0: The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org. celebrated one ordinance and then we think about the other ordinance for a moment. As we think about John the Baptist, you know, you can't think about John the Baptist really without thinking about baptism because he was well known for doing that. And those are the two ordinances that we have in the church, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And I want to talk to you today from Matthew chapter 3, if you have your copy of the scripture. And I'll warn you today that The message is a hard word at times. And that's the thing about John the Baptist. If you don't want to hear a hard word, you might want to stay home during the series on John the Baptist because John the Baptist did not mince words. He was blunt, uh, he was bold, he was in your face. And we need that at times. We really need that at times, especially in our world. And so we're going to follow the path that the Lord gave us here in His Word with John the Baptist. And so as we preach, we will be blunt, we will be bold and we will follow the Spirit's leading. But, you know, John was the baptizer. He baptized people. Maybe in your mind's eye can picture this rugged individual in the River Jordan baptizing people. But his baptism wasn't exactly like our baptism. I don't mean the way he did it. I mean the meaning behind it. When we baptize people, and by the way, we have people ready to get baptized, and God willing, in the near future, we'll have a baptismal service and baptize more believers. But... When we baptize, it's a public confession of our faith. It portrays, it shows the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shows that person has died to the old life and they've risen in new life. We identify with Christ. And everybody who sees us get baptized, they're they're being told by us as we go through baptism that we belong to Jesus. We've given our lives to Jesus. He is our Savior and our Lord. It's required to join the local church. That is to be baptized, publicly baptized. And John's baptism was public as well. It was done out in the open, it was done in front of other people. But as one scholar noted, John's baptism did not make people a member of the church, the body of Christ. Why? Well, the church hadn't even come into existence yet. I mean, we are pre crossed at this point. We haven't even gotten to the cross, we haven't gotten to the empty grave, none of that. What they're doing when they got baptized, these Jewish people, and the people that were there, they were giving public testimony to that person's repentance and commitment to live a holy life. And for a Jew to submit to John's baptism was a significant thing. It was really an amazing thing. It was awfully important. It was life-changing if it was truly genuine because they were pretty much saying some things that day that we'll talk about here in a moment. But let's look there at Matthew chapter 3. We'll go back and begin reading again at verse 1. Now, we studied verses 1 through 6 kind of last time. We're going to study verses 6 through 12 this time. But let's go back and read some of those verses and set the stage. Matthew 3, beginning at verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Last week's message was this, John came preaching. This week's message, John came baptizing. Now verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers. Pretty strong. Brood of vipers, brood of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor "...and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." Now, as I read this passage and studied it this past week, I realized that there there were two great challenges that I found here. And these challenges deal with trying to win people to Jesus Christ. You know, we're to be ambassadors for Christ. We're to share our faith with others. We're to win people to Jesus... And there are some challenges in doing this. And two of those challenges are found right here in the Scripture. The very first challenge is this. There's the challenge of winning those who trust in their religion. Those who trust in their religion or their religious activity. All sorts of people came to hear John the Baptist. Some heard him and accepted his message. Some heard him and rejected his message. And by the way, if you're going to be a preacher, you better get used to that. There are those who are going to come and they will accept your message. There are those who will come and reject your message. And there are those who just sleep through the message. You just got to get used to it. But that day in the crowd, as he looked out, he noticed among the people, there were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees, these Jewish religious leaders. The Pharisees were more conservative. They were the conservatives. The Sadducees were more liberal. In fact, they actually couldn't stand each other. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they really didn't like each other, but they did team up when it came to opposing Jesus. Now, he recognized, one scholar said he recognized their true nature. The Pharisees professed great devotion to the law. They were really devoted to the law, but they were inwardly corrupt, sectarian, hypocritical, and self-righteous. So the law really didn't have much impact on their need and seeing that they needed help. They were just self-righteous, hypocritical, and wicked within. The Sadducees, they were the liberals. They were social aristocrats. They were religious skeptics. They denied such basic doctrines. Are you ready for this? They denied the resurrection of the body. They denied the existence of angels. They denied the immortality of the soul. And they denied eternal punishment. They just didn't believe any of that. So you have the conservatives and you have the liberals. And oddly enough, I'm pretty sure they both thought they were right. The Pharisees thought they were right. The Sadducees thought they were right. And John looks out and he sees the Pharisees and the Sadducees And when he sees them, he has a scathing word for them. By the way, Jesus would have similar words for them. And in verse 7, he says, brood of vipers. That's an encouraging word, isn't it? You come into baptismal service and he looks out and says, brood of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, that's interesting, that that phrase, brood of vipers. You bunch of deadly snakes. They tell me that vipers were small, but very poisonous desert snakes. They would have been very familiar to John the Baptist as he lived out there, and perhaps others as well. They were made even more dangerous by the fact that these vipers, when they were still, they looked like a dead branch. And they were often picked up unintentionally. In fact, they believe that may have been what happened to Paul. Remember when Paul was shipwrecked on the... um, Island of Malta, and they were building a fire, and he reaches out and grabs wood for the fire, and the viper grabs onto his hand, and like, oh, you know, he's going to die, and he he was miraculously delivered. That's Acts twenty eight. They believe that's probably the type of snake that it was. It was a deadly viper, and, and these religious leaders that were there that day, John looks at says, "You brood of deadly snakes, you brood of vipers." See, they didn't come to sincerely repent. And change their life. Maybe they were there to see what all the commotion was about. Maybe they were there because they were were religious. Maybe they were there to find fault. But John calls them snakes. Now I've got to caution you. We're talking about winning souls for Christ. We're talking about witnessing. This is not exactly the suggested method that we would propose to you to go out and begin calling people snakes that are headed to hell. All right? But let me say this. Sometimes strong words are needed when dealing with people. You've got to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's who's in charge of our witnessing. The Holy Spirit's who's in charge of the person coming to faith in Christ. And I've dealt with people over the years in various settings, whether it be Christian or whatever. um, You let the Lord lead you. Sometimes you need to say a more bold, strong word. Sometimes a more gentle word. But you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you And what ought to be said and what ought not to be said. A lot of times we're just planting a seed. But remember, John is God's man and John the Baptist is there and he's preaching and teaching and he says this to religious leaders. And perhaps when he looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he realized they were being inspired not just by their own evil hearts, but by the serpent, the snake, Lucifer himself. Because they were the religious leaders. And they were leading other people astray. Somebody said when John and Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers, they were pointing out that these men were deceitful, dangerous, and wicked. They were deceitful in that they were hypocrites. They were dangerous and they were blind leaders of the blind and wicked in their hearts that were full of murder. These people were leading people astray, leading people away from God, not toward God. And John says to them, you are a brood, you're a bunch of deadly snakes. And it reminds us that religious people, religious people are very hard to win to faith in Jesus Christ at times. Why? Because they believe their religious activity, their religious fervor is enough. But in the Bible, it says that all of our righteousness, all of our works, all of our deeds, all of our stuff, they're just filthy rags. They don't measure up. And they never will. Salvation is not of works. We're lost, we're dead, we're doomed, we're condemned. In a real sense, we're under God's wrath, the wrath of God. And we're going to experience His wrath if we do not repent and turn to faith in Christ. Now, notice what he says. I I told you Now, John is bold, he's he's in your face, and and he doesn't mention words. Look at verse 7. He mentions the wrath to come in verse 7. In verse number 10, he mentions cutting down trees and throwing them in the fire. In verse 11, he mentions baptism with fire. And in verse 12, he he mentions chaff burning in unquenchable fire. What's he talking about? He's talking about the wrath of God, the judgment of God, a place called hell and eternal punishment. Now, I know that's not politically correct. That's, That's not something you shouldn't. You shouldn't mention wrath. You shouldn't mention God's judgment. Well, beloved, the Bible says otherwise. We're to preach the whole counsel of God. And even in churches, they don't want to talk about these things. But listen, God is love. Praise the Lord. God is love. That's who God is. But God is also a God of wrath and a God of justice and a God of judgment and a God of holiness and a God of righteousness. And a God of mercy. See, God is not a buffet. A lot of people want a religious buffet. They want a God that they can pick and choose. Just like they go down to Golden Corral and say, Well, I'll have, you know, I'll have the roast beef and I'll have some potatoes. I'm going to skip out on the carrots. I don't like those. And Brussels sprouts, no thank you. I'm saving room for the chocolate fountain at the end. And they want a God like that. I'll take a God of love, a God of mercy, uh, a God of grace. Uh, I'll, I'll take a God who you know, forgives. But they forget that God, the Bible says, is a consuming fire. He's a God who's just. He's a God who must judge sin. He's a God who must deal with sin. And God's holiness is real and our sin must be judged and it must be punished. And either we're going to allow Jesus to take our judgment and punishment upon the cross or we're going to bear it ourselves forever in the lake of fire. That's really what it boils down to. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of us need to recognize that we fall short. We must repent. We must turn from our sin and trust Christ. And if we do, and by the way, if you never have, I beg you to today. When we do, our life is changed. He says, it's interesting, in verse number 8, after he calls him a brood of vipers, and ask who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. In verse 80, he says, Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, our life is different. We're changed. When we come to faith in Christ, the Bible says the old is gone, the new is come. We're new creatures in Christ, and we begin a process of growth and sanctification and becoming like Jesus. And if someone says that they know Jesus and there's no change in their life after a while, and by the way, we change at different rates. Some things in our life, our behavior, our actions are instantly gone the moment we trust Christ. Others hang on, we battle sin, we battle temptation. I'm not talking about struggles. I just mean there's no change at all. If there's no change in someone's life, they better go back and make sure that they really do know Christ. Because the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the one who knows Christ and begins to go to work. And by the way, if you can sin and it doesn't bother you, And you just go on living a sinful lifestyle and it doesn't bother you. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict you. I beg you to really see if you really know Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit who lives in us, when we sin, He convicts us. And it bothers us. And we want to get right with Him. And all of us sin, by the way. Everybody. Believers as well, but the Bible says in First John one nine, we confess our sin. He's faithful to us, forgive us our sin, and we keep short accounts with God. But if we just stand and live a simple lifestyle. Never bothers us. We just go through it in our life and say, "Oh well, I know Jesus." It may be the fact that you're religious, but you're lost. There are fruits worthy of repentance. So, what are they? Well, you're there in Matthew three. Put your finger there. We're coming back. Go to Luke three. Go to Luke three. It talks about some of the fruits of repentance. In Luke chapter three, beginning at verse seven, I'll put the reference on the screen so you know where we're going. Luke chapter three, beginning at verse seven. Luke three seven. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, "Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come." Verse eight. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, drop down to verse ten of Luke three. So the people asked him, saying, "What shall we do?" He answered and said to them, "He who has two tunics." Let him give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Verse 12, Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Verse uh, 14, Likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. In other words, it's a change of life. Now I've got to caution you. This is not worked up in the flesh. This is not you trying harder, this is the Holy Spirit working in your life to make you more generous, to make you honest, to make you, as he talks about, these various venues and areas of life. But when it comes to a religious person, in order for them to be saved, they've got to recognize they're lost. That's true for everybody. We cannot do this, only the Holy Spirit can do it. We can't convert anybody. We can't convince anybody. As Adrian Rogers used to say, you talk, you talk somebody into it, somebody else talk them out of it. That's not what we're to do. We're to pray and present the truth and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. So with religious people, we have to show them their need to repent and believe on Jesus alone, not their religious activity. There's a second challenge, and we've got to hurry. The second challenge is winning those who trust in their human relationships. You're back in Matthew chapter 3 now. Verse 9. And do not think to to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In other words, they thought that because they were Jewish, they were of the line of Abraham, they were safe. They had a false hope and a false security. We may look at that and say, well, how in the world could they believe that just because they were, you know, Descendants of Abraham, they were okay. Yet, how many people today, they think because grandma was a godly saint that they're going to heaven. Their mom was a godly lady, they're going to heaven. Their dad was a deacon, they're going to heaven. There are those who trust in human relationships. I I grew up in church with my family, and so I'm going to heaven. I I was baptized in church, my family church. I'm going to heaven. The Jews, they're that repented and believed and confessed and were baptized, they were admitting that they were indeed sinful and that being a physical heir of Abraham was not enough. And when dealing with those who are trusting in their relationship with a relative or a friend, it's important to emphasize personal responsibility. They have to personally repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. It is possible to reject Christ. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a thief on either side. One of them trusted Christ. One of them rejected Christ. One went to heaven, to paradise. One went to the lake of fire, to hell. The rich young ruler came, and it says in the Bible, he went away sorrowful. Each person on their own must make a decision about Christ. It's been said that God has no grandchildren. And that saying was developed just to remind everybody, listen, you don't get in based on somebody else's merit. Christianity is not like a family heirloom that's passed down where you you just automatically get it because you're in the family. No, praise God if you have a godly family. Praise God if you have godly grandparents and parents. But you have to personally repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And we need to emphasize the urgency of believing now. He says in verse number 10 of Matthew 3, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, now, now. We're not promised another day. We're not promised another opportunity. If you're listening to me right now and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the appointed time. Now is the moment. It's the Holy Spirit's tugging in your heart. Now is the time to give your life to Christ. Don't put it off. You're not promised another day. You're not promised another opportunity. This could be the very last chance you have. And you're not going to get in on somebody else's merit. You're only going to come in through Christ. That's why Christ says, no man comes to the Father but by me. It's important that we witness. It's important that we testify. And there's some challenges There's the challenge of winning those who are trusting in their religion. There's the challenge of those who are trusting in their human relationships. But I think probably the greatest challenge we face in winning other people to Christ is simply this. And it's a hard word. We don't really believe lost people go to hell. We don't really believe that. Now, I know we say that. We subscribe to that. we, We would mentally assent to that. But we don't really believe that. Look at verse 12. It's a strong word. Talking about the one coming after Him, Jesus. His winning fan is in His hand. He will thoroughly clean out His threshing floor and gather His weed into the barn. That's believers. But He will burn up the chaff, the unbelieving, with unquenchable fire. You don't really believe that. We say we do, but we really don't. If we really believe that, I think we would not be so slow to share the Gospel. We'd not be so shy about witness. We'd not be so timid. And by the way, if you're feeling convicted, listen, I felt it first when I was writing this message. This is real. This is eternal. This is forever. And, and God is a God of love. That's why He sent Christ. But sin must be dealt with. And either Christ is going to bear your sin or you're going to bear it forever in the lake of fire. And that's true of every person that we meet. Every person we run into. May God break our hearts. Daniel and I were eating in a restaurant. A couple nights ago, there was a gentleman seated across from us. He kind of began talking. He struck up a conversation. There was only about us probably left in the restaurant at that time. He was talking about all the things going on in our world. And he had some interesting comments, some interesting takes. But he made the comment about God was going to judge these people. And then he clarified real quick that he didn't want anything bad to happen to people, but God was going to judge them. And perhaps I should have said more. Maybe I should have went a different route with it, but I didn't say much because I had the thought as he was speaking, yeah, I deserve God's judgment too because I was a wicked, evil sinner shaking my fist in the, hand of God, at the face of God. And I've said before, and I'll tell you again, beware of a preacher who preaches on hell and seems happy people are going there. This is not an easy word. This is a heart-rending, heartbreaking word. Because the Bible really does teach that people who die without Christ go to a horrible place that we refer to as hell. Revelation twenty eleven through fifteen. And I want to read this to you. One of the hard passages. It's talking about the great white throne judgment. And great white throne judgment is for lost people. It's not saved people. Saved people aren't here. Saved people are at the judgment seat of Christ, and they're judged for rewards. Their sin is forever dealt with at the cross. But the great white throne are lost people that are put before God, and they are judged. And it says in Revelation 20, 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead. These are lost people. Dead, small and great. Rich, famous, poor, wealthy, whoever. Small and great. The greatest among men, the least among men. The greatest among women. didn't matter what their standing was. Small and great, they're dead and they're standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. terrifying. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death in Hades, the place where they are at this moment, delivered up the dead who were with them were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. and then verses 14 and fifteen, terrifying words. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those words are terrifying. haunting, and sobering. But it's the reality for any person who rejects Jesus Christ. Beloved, I don't know how long we have left. I really believe we're living in the last days. We're seeing things happen in our world that are mind-boggling, and the rapidness of it is almost staggering. God has us here at this appointed time for a reason. To be as ambassadors. And in this climate and in this world where it is the most looked down upon thing, it seems, to speak truth and say that there is authority and there is absolute truth, we need to speak boldly so people can hear in love the truth of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that God would help us as a body of believers to personally, each one of us, share Jesus Christ, realizing that people are lost and going to a horrible place apart from Christ. Now, I want to give you this challenge and we're going to pray and sing. As we leave today, our assignment is two-pronged. Number one, rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in Christ. We've celebrated Him today. We've worshipped Him today. He's given us eternal life. He's our joy. He's our Lord. He's our all. He's our, we rejoice in Him. We have joy, but then to go out secondly with a burden on our hearts. To have others know Christ. To be brought into the fold, brought into the flock, brought into the family of God. And that joy in Christ, can I just remind you, the joy in Christ will help you with that burden in Christ to share the Gospel with all that we're allowed to speak to. May we take advantage of the opportunity God has given us. Aren't you glad, beloved, somebody shared the Gospel with you? Aren't you glad somebody told you? Aren't you glad somebody cared enough to take you to church or Bible school or wherever it was? Somebody spoke that cared enough about you to make sure that you got a chance to hear the Gospel and respond in faith. Well, listen, there are millions of people who need the same opportunity. And you know what God's plan is? And you say, I don't understand. I don't either. I mean, think about it. This is God's plan. He wants to use you and me. I mean, Lord, you could have written in the sky. You could have sent an angel. No, I'm going to use you. People reaching people. Told you it's a hard word. But it's a needed word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, John. Thank you. Holy Spirit for speaking to our hearts today. Father, we love You. We praise You. We want to rejoice in You and be filled with joy of the Lord, which is our strength. But Lord, burden our hearts, open our eyes, help us to be aware of the people around us that are perishing without hope, headed to a Christless eternity in hell. May we be bold in our witness. May we be Spirit-led in our words. And I pray for a mighty harvest of souls beginning in my life, beginning in this congregation. May people know Jesus, the one who is mighty to save. And we pray this in His name. Amen. We're going to close with that song. And by the way, if you're here today and you don't know for certain that you're saved, I'd love to talk with you. Come on down. The altar is up. You want to pray for Loved ones, pray for friends that need to know Jesus. Come today. But we're going to sing together a song because He is mighty to save. You say, well, you don't know how bad this person is. Doesn't matter. He can save them. Just go look at Saul of Tarsus. He can save Saul. He can save anybody. He can save your friend. He can save your family member. Let's stand together and sing mighty to save. Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.